Okay, you're down to mere minutes. You're down to one podcast length, I suppose, give or take. By my math, it's about 47 minutes. We might have to go a little longer. Okay, okay, maybe an hour. (laughs) At at most, 90. Let's say that. You are moments away from engaging goblin mode. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, look, I'm going to go to you. This is the role I was born to play, Brad. (laughs) How, how was your preparation going? I mean, we're here, like there's no prep left to do. Everything's in place. So maybe you can, maybe you can let us in on, you know, like how'd you stock the fridge or did you set up a kiddie pool in the living room or I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I hard boiled a bunch of eggs. No, no, no. Uh-huh. I'm kidding, kidding, kidding. Um, I, uh, or I, I picked up some groceries the other day. Nothing too. Like I do have a pack of hot dogs in there. I'm not going to, mm-hmm. I, I cracked into my first hot dog of 2023 earlier today for lunch. Okay. Is that a standard eight, eight, eight wiener? Yeah. I, I'm a blue Applegate farms. I like okay. the, the salted, uh, the uncured, uh, hot dog. It's delicious. Do you, do you anticipate getting through all eight this week? No, 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 no. I, okay. my, I would, I, I don't know that my heart could take all eight of those in one weekend. Okay. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to gauge the level of moral degradation that is about to take place. Uh, I mean, look, I went last night. I was like, oh man, we don't have any ice cream in the house. And so on my way home, I stopped at the grocery store and got a tub of ice cream. And I thought about getting two just because okay. I couldn't decide on flavors, but I ended up with just one. Cause I was like, I'm not old enough to have two tubs of ice cream to go through in a weekend. Okay. Have you, here's, here's something. Have you ever done the, have you ever, I assume you own an air mattress for guests and stuff. Yes. Have you ever just blown up the air mattress in front of the TV, just like move the coffee table out of the way and just turn the entire, turn the entire living room floor in front of the TV into a bed. We have, uh, we have done that. In fact, actually that was the setup last night because the wife and kiddo are going camping and we wanted to inflate the air mattress before they left to make sure that it like hadn't developed leaks or whatever in the garage. So they would find that out here rather than in the, you know, in the, in the campground away from civilization. Okay. So that's going with them. Yeah. So I don't have there. Sadly, I do not have an air mattress here. No lounging in front of the television then. So right now the TV, the couch is, is arrayed so that it's uh, perpendicular to the TV. So I can get a full recline on and still be aimed at the TV which I think is going to become important because, you know, the Zelda game came out yesterday night at like yes. nine o'clock. The Zelda, the Zelda is out. Yeah. The new Zelda. Um, Can I ask, I mean, speaking of moral degradation, how, 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 how do you intend to play that game? So I have, I have two switches charged and preloaded right now. Okay. Uh, Gina got an OLED for her birthday a few years ago when it came out and cause she didn't have, she wanted her own animal crossing Island. And so normally kind of it, it's a shit runs downhill situation in the house where I get the new thing and it runs downhill. But I, we made the choice to get her the OLED that year. Sure. So I put it on her OLED. I'm going to okay. play it on some OLED. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to go tell you, I have Yuzu. I have Yuzu things in the past. Okay. Cause it's pretty easy to pull the file off of your switch to, you know, do you do the thing with my launch switch and pull the file off and grab the save files. I don't, I don't know if I want to spend that much time fucking around with something instead of actually just playing the game. Sure. I mean, your time is limited. That's that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like looking at 33 step tutorials going, how do I how do I want to enjoy this game? Maybe I'll just play it in its default state. I don't know if I could go to Best Buy and buy a Switch Pro that like was did ran at 60 frames a second or didn't frame mm-hmm. sag or whatever. I'm sure that I haven't even I, I am so dark on on Tears of the Kingdom 
mm-hmm. that I don't, I haven't even looked at a digital, uh, like a, like a, like a, Hey, how does this game run report yet? Okay. I want to know nothing about it. I know that Zelda and Link are in it. That's, that's all I got. I don't even think I watched the last trailer. So, you know, if performance is real bad, maybe I'll reevaluate my, reevaluate my choices. Fair. Yeah. I mean, you have to make good use of your time. Clock is about to be ticking. Well, but the question is what, what's like, I, I'm going to do takeout one night, right? Okay. Cause I have stuff to make dinner tonight and I'll probably do takeout tomorrow. I was thinking about getting some like Korean, Korean chicken wings, maybe. Sure. I got to go in for something that like the rest of the fam usually isn't down for. Right. So like pizza, fried chicken, you know, like a bucket of Taco Bell, all of that's in the normal shit my family will eat. I need to go to something like I was thinking maybe some pho and and uh, like I I don't know I don't know where I I'm I'm I don't know where I should go. I don't know what my uh, goblin mode takeout meal is. That's quite a conundrum. I got a bucket. I got a, I got a box full of Captain Crunch here. Okay. Nothing like a little uh, mouth laceration to kick the weekend off. If if your mouth doesn't have Captain Crunch calluses, I don't know what you're doing. You're playing your games wrong. Welcome to Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. I'm Will. Hi, Brad. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. It's a podcast. Uh, this week, yeah, we have a new thing. We're doing a new thing. Yeah. We're going to rate every piece of software. Uh-huh. Go on. Uh, and we're going to... Okay, CorelDRAW. Which version? Versus three? Descent. Okay. Three or uh, four. Th- four was bad. Three was pretty good, in my opinion. Three. But yeah, three. CorelDRAW three versus Descent. No, no, we're not going to do, do this. People didn't like this. This was, this was, this was an up and down topic. Are, Very are divisive. Are we ever going to finish that, or is that just gone? I think I think we're just not going to ever talk about oh, it again. Man, I had fun. I, I look, I enjoyed that that conversation immensely, but we didn't make very much progress on the topic. No, anyway, no. Uh, this time we were talking a few weeks ago. Uh, you and I were about the things that were kind of inflection points in an industry, right? Like the moments where. Uh, before that time, things were moving in one direction, or maybe we thought things were going to look like a different way than they ended up. And then all of a sudden this thing came out and everything changed. And then the rest of the industry was racing to catch up. And it was like in this, in this world, it's like the iPod's a great example because there were MP3 players before the iPod. But, uh, and when you looked at the iPod, you kind of initially thought, oh man, that's just a lot of marketing crap. It's nothing different. And then you use an iPod and you're like, oh wow, I got to get one of these. And as a result, everybody else that was making MP3 players at the time suddenly either shifted to like a kind of different market niche or they just disappeared. Um, so we want to talk about these both from a what it was like at the time perspective, right? Because there was there was definitely there's definitely a vibes about the moments before and the moments immediately following and then the kind of longer term bits. But then there's also it's nice to go back now because there's historical perspective and we know what was actually right and wrong about a lot of this stuff and especially sure. the stuff in the like early mid two thousands, even early 2010s now. So, yep. yep. And and I, I mean, we'll, we'll see how this evolves over time, but I mean, we've even thought about 
products as trivial is trivial the right word here as as minor as like the microsoft intel mouse for example yeah like, i mean like I, it, it, doesn't, I, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be some world shaking like industry redefining thing necessarily or, or you know in mice that kind of was but it, it's not quite on the level of the ipod but it was still i definitely looked at mice very differently before and after that intel mouse i would argue that the intel mouse probably birthed an entire like it it was the beginning of mouse as a specialized input device rather than a general purpose input device where everybody had the same mouse much much like most of the rest of the pc industry it felt like the period or felt like the point where mice stopped wearing khakis yeah kind, kind of that makes, but it makes sense well, like it, it was the point when the computer went from the thing you did your spreadsheets on to you know i mean i guess there's two ways to look at that one is that it's one with the capitalism really took hold of the mouse mm-hmm. you know it's the, it's the oreo uh oreos with pop rocks embedded uh wait what you ever had the fireworks oreos is that a thing pop rocks in in the oreo cream yeah it's pretty, fireworks oreos i tell you what? i often like to use it as this, as a, a perfect example of late stage capitalism but also they're very good so fuck me right oh this is horrifying Firework Oreo with popping candy, says yep. this package. Okay, no, thank you. So you should try them. They're delicious. So and Nothing against Pop Rocks, but anyway. Anyway, the point is, historically important, caused a shift in the industry. Um, hopefully have some historical perspective. Yeah. And uh, we're going to do the first one today. We've been, we've been researching for a bit. Uh, I don't know about you, Brad, but I've watched a lot of videos of men wearing hoodies and sport coats. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. As, as was the style at the time. Yep. Uh, all of my rings have turned red. Uh-huh. Well, three out of four of them. Well, have. sometimes four, though, too. It depends on the type of uh, if you unplug Fair. that AV cable, you get all four. Mm-hmm. And that was a anyway, we're talking about the Xbox 360. Yes. Yes, uh, it's it's a a, 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 a a console that I mean, I, I would argue def- essentially defined video game consoles from then on. Like, yeah, I think that's fair. Pretty much everything that has come out since has been made in the image of that thing. Well, it, it, uh, it despite despite I think I need, I need to double check probably globally in the final analysis being the number three console of the generation. I, that is a thing we probably should have looked up. I didn't actually <laughs> do the research on that bit. I, I can I can answer that in the next seconds as we continue to talk. But but the point um, the the thing about it is I think it defined the modern internet connected console. Yes, which, uh, not just not just interconnected but social as well. Well, yeah, I mean, I but, guess those those go hand in hand. To be fair, well, they didn't have to because you know the PS2, the Dreamcast, the Xbox, original Xbox, all were internet connected, but they didn't they they didn't have that social component. I guess even the GameCube had a modem, right? You could jam a thing on there. Yes, it was it was it was add on as yeah. was as was the PS2 at yeah. that time. They, they both had modems. Uh, the PS2 also had an Ethernet adapter eventually. Yeah, I don't think the GameCube did, but I, obviously the, the original Dreamcast, Xbox. You could plug an Ethernet cable in eventually, right? There was a broad. Yes, there was a broadband, broadband adapter, adapter for the Dreamcast, but I mean, that lasted for about eight minutes. Yeah, just like the rest of the Dreamcast. But but I mean, the point is, it took the idea of a network connected um a network connected console something and instead of just saying hey you can play multiplayer games on this they took the next step and they looked at what was happening with early social networks leading up to the 2005 launch of the console and and built everything around that in a way that i don't think anybody else 
out. Like, I don't think Sony and Nintendo would have ever gotten to or would have taken much, much longer to get to without Microsoft saying, hey, look, the ability to play games with your friends and to be participating in, a, in an ecosystem across multiplayer and single player games is something that people want. And, and they were absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, as somebody who tried to set up online stuff for PS2 games and looking at what the onboarding and the setup network configuration process was like for games on the PS2, they never would have gotten to where they're at now without the 360 coming in and saying, hey, that should all just work at the platform level, which is a big part of what we're going to heap praise on here, I think, is things working at the platform level. I, I'll say real fast, 360 indeed narrowly the number three console of that generation. And that's even counting that everybody had to buy like three or four of them. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, just barely by like single digit millions uh, behind the PS3. Yeah. We obviously way out in front, but of those three, like easily the most lastingly influential console of the three. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would definitely agree with that. So yeah, the platform level features, uh, we're going to talk about the, the, let's talk about why it was special first, and then we'll get into the, like the backstory on how they made it and, and marketing and all that stuff. Um, but, but the platform level was features a big deal. The main thing is you start, you started with a gamer tag, which was a, like a cross platform, uh, uh, sorry, a whole platform user ID that tied all your other stuff. So previously I think like, I remember playing, I remember seeing people play Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 on the PlayStation 2, and it was almost like you were using GameSpy or some other PC uh, like lobby search thing. You, your user accounts were not tied to the platform necessarily, so you had to create a new account for each game, and and it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was fraught. The the original Xbox had a little bit of this stuff. Like it had the hints, the, the, the kind of beginnings of a lot of this stuff, including gamer tags. So, so did you use Xbox live on the original Xbox? Cause that's like a huge blind spot for me. I actually never had an Xbox account. I never had like, I never really got online with that thing. I must've plugged it into an ethernet cable, I guess at some point, but I never like signed up for Xbox live and experienced whatever like proto online was with the Xbox. So if you, so if you can speak to that, I'm, I'm actually curious to talk about it. So yeah, I played links a lot with, from, with some friends. Like I, I had a regular like Tuesday night, we're going to play video game golf on the internet with each other. And, and it had a lot of the stuff that, that came to the Xbox 360. Like it had, you had voice that you could talk to each other with headsets on and, you had a gamer tag that you shared and that was the that was the way you made friends inside links uh, links was a first party game i think by that point i think microsoft had bought them by them i can't that remember sounds right um sounds like the kind of game microsoft would buy yeah and then never do anything with again because why would why do we not need more good golf games but what do i care um but but yeah so but but those friends lists were inside the apps. So you, you, you didn't have like, you didn't have a way on the Xbox, the original Xbox, at least at the times I was playing it that I recall to look in and see what your other, what your friends who oh, were yeah. playing that game were doing. Right. That was like quietly kind of the coolest thing about the Xbox 360 when it came out to me was what they, what they called rich presence. Yeah. Yeah. Which I know people who are giant bomb listeners have heard us talk about that phrase many times because it's because it's kind of silly and very Microsoft. Well, but it was literally just the flavor text of like it was cool enough. You could see what people what game people were playing. But the fact that they that there was some kind of API or some sort of system where the game would actually tell you what they were doing in that game. It'd be, it'd be like, hey, it's in like chapter it. three of Dead Rising right, or whatever. Right. Yes. Slaughtering zombies in blah, yeah, yeah, or the whatever. The eighth hole of, 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 of um, uh, Pebble, Pebble, uh, Palm, Pebble Beach. 
Pebble Beach. Pebble Beach. That's, that's a golf also. course. Yeah. Um, yes. The 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 other thing is the voice and all that stuff was limited to in to one. Like you couldn't if your friend. There was no way to do cross game planning on the original Xbox. So if you wanted to say if you like, I saw you were online and you were playing. I don't know, Mech Assault or Mech Warrior, some some game that I wasn't playing. There was no way for me to like connect to you and have a conversation about, hey, we let's go play a game together. What do you have? And and have that kind of conversation. Interesting. So I I huh. If you if you had asked me, if I'd had a guess, I would have thought they would have had kind of a platform level voice chat. I think they the original, had text but, chat, but you had to do input okay. with a gamepad and you know how that yeah, it's not yeah. great. Yes. Um so yeah, and then stuff like patching and like there were some games that patched, but it wasn't it definitely wasn't universal. There was some DLC stuff, but it wasn't it was you had to almost always access it from inside the game. So there wasn't like a store on the platform until way way late. Yeah, I uh, actually yeah. kind of want to look up a list if I can find one of original Xbox games that had DLC. So like Halo another one was one right, of them. Halo, Halo 2. Like, Halo 2, right? Yeah. Like, but if I had had to guess, another thing where if I'd had to guess, I would have said like, oh, there was no DLC on that. It was like you could do online games, but surely they weren't selling content. But I guess they were. I don't believe they sold a whole lot of content because it was Skyrim. The horse armor <laughs> was um, Oblivion, right? Uh, yeah, well, that was on the that 360, was a 360 game. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that for sure. <laughs> but, but I mean, I guess my point is. The, so the other thing that's worth mentioning, my Xbox, I, I went to try to plug it in to see, to, to see what I can experience with this. I don't, I think it's let loose the mortal coil. Oh no. Have you opened it up? I haven't opened it up yet. It's impossible to search for original Xbox stuff. It really is because of the stupid Xbox one name for the third generation Xbox. So just heap another reason on the pile to despise the Xbox one. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> I'm in that, I'm in the middle of that process right now. I, I typically will just type an original Xbox. Yeah. Or Xbox first generation is sometimes yeah. good, but, but I couldn't find, like I was looking for videos of people going through the menus and you can't find, they're just impossible to find. Yes. Um, it's, it's hard. It's very hard. Um, it's anyway, it's possible. It's the power supply and not the, not the capacitor, the leaky capacitors. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how widespread it actually is for that capacitor to kill boards. Obviously it's not great to have the contents of that thing leaking yeah. out onto the PCB, but it, like I, I haven't actually seen a lot of people who have confirmed that it killed their system. Well, the other thing is I didn't hear a hard drive spin up when I plugged it in. So it could huh. just be that the bearings in the hard drive are frozen and that's a relatively okay. easy problem to fix. Anyway. The, yeah. I, I, I think there's weird stuff around like, you know, I, there, there's some encryption on, on the drive that they used or, you know, I'm it's got to sure be that's a in some way. problem at this point. And, and it, it definitely is, but I, I'm, I'm sure it probably won't boot if it can't read the hard drive. Yeah. So, so anyway, I, 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 I literally dug out the old Xbox to see if I could go see what of this stuff still works and what this experience was. And it, and it was uh, sadly did not cooperate. Um, yeah. oh, well, it's all gone. Also, they shut down that version of Xbox Live. Well, but I'd still be able to like, load, the, load the game and see if the, like where the friends menus and yes. stuff are. Anyway, yeah, you could at least look at the software. Um, so, yeah, platform level stuff uh, and w- yeah, attached yeah. to the gamer tag stuff like achievements. Right. So, I mean, yeah, like if if you just want to get into the list of things, this thing kind of debuted or made better as yeah. a package, like we could probably sit here for the rest of the episode and talk about it. I mean, it's kind of crazy. It's like like achievements. You know, people obviously have their feelings about achievements at this point, but they were mind blowing at a mind blowing concept at the time. If you set aside like the achievement hunting, like people debasing themselves for more points 
and stuff like that. Well, it, um, yeah, it gave you a thing to do that was social with your friends right. that worked in single player games in addition to multiplayer games. Sure. Right. Like that, like gave you a way to could be competitive or comparative or whatever your, whatever verb you want to use there. It, it let you see what it, it let you see how you kind of stacked up and where, where you were. And, and that, that problems, my problems personally with achievements aside, that that's a cool thing. And it gave yeah. you a reason, like it was a reason to connect your thing to the internet, even if you only played single player games. Sure. I mean, I've said it a million times, but like really well-designed achievements are incredibly valuable in and of themselves because they expand the game right like there yeah. were so many one-off objectives that they could give you that would not have been surfaced in the core game design you know but it's like hey land land a jump off of some weird feature of this one map type thing you know like that that would never fit into like the quote-unquote rules of the game they were making but like because they had this meta objective system they could write all this other bizarre stuff into the things you could be doing or, or and and, and, those, and those became like that the bragging rights were real there for truly really difficult or rare achievements people actually would go like oh my god you did that well and things like nudging players to find things that they might not find otherwise and weren't exposed like that would be difficult to expose outside of them inside the meta of the game you, you know like it's it, i i i quite like the, i think the intent behind achievements is really good and they got kind of weird for a while but they're kind of back to a nice place now it seems like overall yeah, yeah they really just not, not even just on the xbox but steam you know playstation trophies like they're just kind of in the background these days i just i feel like people don't really talk about them or acknowledge them these days they're just sort of there it, what's just a uh, thing i mean the one exception is the platinums on the playstation people seem to be yes. like I, I see tweets about that there's there's there is definitely still some some bragging rights there yeah. and the smartest I, I've, I've said it before the smartest games on the PlayStation will make it so that when you finish the game you're like three four trophies away from the platinum oh yeah the ratchet and clank like, effect yes you mean. yes like just to, to get you over the line like just kind of dangle that in front of people um, yeah just play a couple more hours Brad yeah but like honestly though like booting up the 360 and digging into it and seeing what was in there I mean it completely exploded my mind as far as what a console could be and mostly because it felt more like a computer and I don't mean that in like the like the boring khaki wearing negative sense you know but more just like oh my gosh there's actual software where there's like a real operating system running on here that's tracking stuff and the way that can tie into games at a at a global level is just kind of amazing, right? Yeah, it was it was the uh, the console became more than the thing that you jammed the disc into and became the glue that held all your games together. Yeah. Like I, I think I think we we kind of been inching there like I, I mean I was similarly mind blown by the the PlayStation 1's like memory cards management interface and CD player, you know, it was like it was like what do you mean when you turn this thing on without a game in there it still boots up and lets you do something like that's crazy. There's there's an opera, but like, I don't know if that li lived in like ROM or something like that was not some real OS. It was just that, it was a real OS. It was just a really light, yeah. tiny little one. Right. 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 I, I mean, I, I should probably give some examples here. Like the stuff I'm talking about is like the fact that you could set your inverted control preference at the system level and then just have every game respect it. Yeah. Like that was just like there, there were so many things on this console that were just like when you saw that they had done them, you would just like slap your forehead and go like, of course. Of course, like why did nobody done that before? Well, like that's that's incredible. It makes sense that Microsoft understood the value of setting defaults, right? Because they 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 had at, the, at this time they were five six years off from the IE stuff and were like they had gotten in trouble for abusing defaults and the fact that people never change defaults and they were like oh what if we what if we use this power of defaults for good and not evil 
And by making the API require you to honor stuff like that and using their power as a platform holder for good, it, it meant that the game developers had to support their APIs. And it was stuff like like cross game voice, just voice as a system level feature, honestly, was the, was where it started. And the cross game party stuff came fairly late. I think it was even maybe after the blades had were on yes. their way out. My my memory is, yeah, around the time they moved to the NXE, the new Xbox experiences around when parties rolled out like three years after launch. I think there was a little bit of blades in parties and then the NXE that came right. and that's when the party interface kind of got good. Well, the yeah. rest of the interface got bad, but uh, the parties were a cross game voice system, voice system. But but uh, like I want to go back to like having voice as a system level feature because it's hard to remember now in a world with discord and like even Nintendo has voice for their, I mean, it's bad and it uses phones and like, look, it's not to be emulated to Nintendo. Yeah. But, but like I was working at a PC magazine and a lot of people that were on PC magazines were stoked about playing Halo two on the Xbox 360 because we could talk to each other while we were playing without having to fuck around with team speaker or, or one of the other mumble or whatever the other servers were at the time. Ventrilo. God. Yeah. I guess mumble wasn't around then. Got to hop on the vent, bro. Yeah. But, but it was, it was a nice, it was just, Hey, all you have to do is plug in your headset and put on your head and it just works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, it was just the, the idea of cross game everything, right? Like cross game voice, cross video game invites. Like yeah. the, and and even the way the messaging worked, like contextual actions, actually, I think is what I'm really getting at here. Like the way that the the notifications, I think they called them toasts. Yeah, the toasts. Like the fact that you could hit a guide button whenever one of those was on the screen and it would activate whatever was relevant to that notification, right? Like that was Again, it sounds so simple and straightforward and duh at this point, but like the fact that you could be playing a game, somebody could send you an invite, you could hit the guide button while the invite was on the screen and it would just launch the other game and take you right to their game. You say that now and I'm thinking about it. It's the first place I saw system level notifications probably. Uh, On a console? On a device. Oh, oh, interesting. Oh, of course. I hadn't even actually thought about Remember, that. Angle. iOS didn't get system level notifications yeah. until iOS 4 in like 2010. Yeah. Windows Mobile had, you could have, you, you like an app could prompt, could pop up a notification, but it wasn't like a system UI thing. And it wasn't the, like the, the two parts of that were, hey, letting you know it's here and then giving you a call to action that took you to the right place. The Prior to this, the phone apps would do one of those, but not the other usually. Sure. So, and also, you know, we, we should mention the 360 came out in November 2005. And so like smartphones generally were relegated kind of to the world of like business with Blackberries and stuff like that. Yeah, it was like Blackberries and like Windows a, Mobile and was, Palm, right, Palm phones and stuff right, like that. This is still a couple of years before the iPhone even debuted. Yeah. So so like a system level notification thing. I don't think Windows had that at that point. I'd have to go back and look, but it, it, it feels like that was a much later feature. I mean, I guess 98% of the world was still on XP at that point, right? Like Vista wasn't even out, right? Vista, Vista was wasn't out until 2006, right? I think. I can't remember. Right. But yeah, so so like like the ability to say, hey, to pop, pop on and see you playing a game, say, hey, do you want to come play Halo with me and hit the button and you get a message that then brings you directly into my Halo game and puts us on voice together. And also because voice was a system level feature, people who made games like Halo and Chrome Hounds were able to do crazy shit with voice. like. If you were standing next to somebody on the other team in Halo and you were talking, then they would hear your half of your party comms because it was being broadcast in the physical space of the game. And like a kind of a privacy issue in retrospect, 
really fucking cool nonetheless that that strikes me as like kind of the ultimate online style of like we haven't fully thought through the social ramifications of what we're doing with this technology here we're just going to let everything like anything go here yeah i mean it's it's the uno thing too when they released the webcam for it and they were like (laughs) and all of a sudden there's people and you you're seeing a lot of hog and cocaine mountains and all sorts of weird shit on playing uno yeah, like the camera is yet another example. I guess we'll, we'll get to it. Like, I, there, there's so many things to talk about here. I'm like having to restrain myself from just going off on eight tangents. But like putting the headset in the box, like yeah. mandating the headset in the box was like that's whoever thought of that. Like that was a genius move of like nobody's going to use this voice feature unless everybody can use this voice feature. Well, so we have to enable that. And it's and it's also one of those situations where. If they had said, oh, man, this hard, this headset costs us 75 cents each when we when we put them in the box, we can we're going to sell a billion of these things. We can't we can't spend that 75 cents for a billion headsets. Nobody would have used them. So, yeah. So, okay, so friends list messaging, all the normal stuff from social networks. uh, Huge, huge deal. Yes, I I would even say, I mean, it was it was platform level features. It was cross game features. And then there was also also just mandating standards. And like we already talked about some of that with like being able to set preferences globally. But there was even stuff like they mandated for a long time. And this evolved over time, but they mandated how big patches could be. They mandated how updates had to roll out because broadband was still relatively new. And they had to make sure that nobody was going to nobody. Nobody's going to launch a game and sit there for 30 minutes or 45 minutes waiting. Well, that went out the, the window, game. huh? I mean, Yes, you know, <laughs> granted, internet connections got faster. And I, I also, I also, I think developers probably bristled pretty regularly at that, at the patch limit early on well, or, or later. They but had like, size limits for patches. They also had size limits for like the difference between downloadable, like downloadable games had really small size limits yes, in the beginning. I, I think, X, I think originally XBLA games were limited like 50 megabytes or 100 megabytes. It was, it was so they fit was, on memory was, cards, right? Because it was the yes. hard drive was optional on the 360. Right. Right. But like, I, I'm sure I'm sure there were all kinds of development headaches that went along with these pretty onerous restrictions. But on the end user side, especially as somebody like I was covering games by the time the 360 came out professionally, you know, so this was like a work tool as well as a video game console and like never having to wait for patches, you know, like having having that whole part of the experience that streamlined was really meaningful. Yeah, you had to engage with it all the time. Um, the, the, downloadable games. Since we're talking about patches, like the, there were downloadable games before, I think. Yes, but it was pretty limited. And if I recall, in the Xbox One, you had to put a disc in to download the games. I'm, I'm, I'm once again trying to search for first generation games downloadable games. It's, yeah, it's, it's such a nightmare. Um, uh, but, but, but I, I mean. Like uh, it, even if there even if there were some downloadable games available, that's the like point. The concept came into its own on the 360. Yeah, inarguably. I mean, look, the first downloadable games were on the, for the Nintendo DD in Japan in the 80s. We all know that. We don't right. need to get into right. it. Um, yeah. the 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 point of the point of this is, uh, that 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 like when stuff like summer of arcade happened, it changed the conversation about an entire class of games and basically gave right birth to like commercially successful indie games. Yeah. I mean, even before that, even at launch, maybe some would disagree, but I think geometry wars is genuinely one of the best games ever made. It was the game I bought an Xbox 360 for. Right. Right. It was the game I've spent all my time playing. I spent 
when I got my 360, I played at this $5 downloadable game yeah. more than any of the big $50 disc games. There was, um, there was nothing else on the launch lineup that I gave a shit about except for, I mean, cameo was nice, I guess, but yeah, but like, I was like hexic and you know, there were some other, actually some other XBLA games that were cool, but like this is $5 game, this $5 game that even then takes 60 seconds to download. Yep. You know, uh, and is just still one of the most enduring things on there. But yeah, like, I think some of our kids started in 2008. That was, if people don't remember, that was a, it was really just a promotional event. Um, it was one game a week for X number of weeks every summer for like five, six years in a row. Yeah. Right. Uh, where they, they, they essentially just put a lot of marketing muscle behind the games that were chosen as the summer of arcade games, but, but the, they were mostly all bangers. The marketing and, muscle was that a, they selected games that were bangers yeah. and B they put them on the front page of the dashboard of that thing because they by that point they had made the dashboard of the of the xbox a destination in and of itself right so previously like you put the disc in the in the console you'd never see the the os except for when you were changing games or whatever with this it was like oh even if i'm playing a disc game i'm gonna probably go see it in the dashboard in case like because Super Meat Boy is freaking awesome. And if there's a chance to have more Super Meat Boy, I'm going to get more Super. I want to play more Super Meat Boy or, or, you know, whatever the whatever the indie game was. So, yeah, I, I got to, I got to the point where I really looked forward to Summer of Arcade because I knew I was going to play some of the best games of the year there. I mean, Braid, Castle Crashers, Geometry Wars 2, Shadow Complex, Explosion Man, Trials HD, Limbo, Bastion. I forgot that that uh, that Shadow Complex came out of that, too. Yeah, like. The- it was, it was, it was, it was like some serious, it was stacked well, for sure. It, and so like, there's a conversation to be had that probably doesn't live in here, but because they limited the number of slots that were available for games, period. Like it wasn't like there was an infinite number of games. There were maybe two indie games a week and one, you know, one, there weren't infinite downloadable games at that point, partly because there weren't many people making downloadable size scale games, but also partly because Microsoft really limited the number of games that they allowed on the platform. So if you got one of those slots, it you had a pretty good chance of having a commercial success. If you made something that was, that was, that was halfway decent. I, I remember stories of developers having to sign up for publishing deals with major publishers just to get a slot, not yeah. not because they necessarily needed the publishing services, but because those big companies had more inroads to publish more games. Just and to be clear, of, I don't think that this is a great solution to no, the problem. No, no, no. Right. Like it's, it's kind of, I would qualify it kind of the same way I did about like the limited patch sizes and stuff. Like I'm sure, I'm sure on the developer end, it created no end of, of headaches and, and pain. yeah, but well, it, we missed out a lot of good games because they couldn't get slots or they didn't want to deal with publishers or whatever. Right. But but it was maybe the right solution for, for the time. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but yeah, the 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 downloadable stuff, the 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 backwards compatibility was the other thing that was interesting. They tied it to the hard drive because the original Xbox had a hard drive and you had to have a hard drive to do the to play the original Xbox games because some of them wrote insane amounts of data to the to the hard drive. Yeah, there, there was also I don't think this was ever confirmed, but so the original Xbox had an NVIDIA GPU. Oh, right. And they moved, and yeah, they moved and, to and ATI. Yeah, they moved to ATI for the 360 and forever after. Yeah. AMD AMD slash ATI have made console GPUs pretty much Living that um, APU life. It was, it was always rumored that they kind of embedded the licensing fee they had to pay to NVIDIA for the backwards compatibility into the purchase of the hard drive. That makes sense. I feel like is, the relationship with Microsoft and NVIDIA after the first Xbox, maybe not great. I yeah. don't know. I always got that yeah. feeling. 
Um, Nvidia never did a console again, except for the the Switch. And, and I think that was kind of an accident because the 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 Tigra already existed. Well, they've also done those Shield things, which are kind of console. Well, yeah, but I mean, I mean, con- they never did the graphics hardware for a, another company's console. Oh no, except yeah. for the Switch, which again was already an existing part. Yeah. Um, I think they did the RSX in the PS3, but that's kind of not the same thing. Yeah. The, the, the other thing that like on the hardware front we haven't talked about yet is that the fact that the controller was wireless. Yes. Yes. Now I know to be fair, um, I think that was only in the expensive, the pro skew at launch. I believe the, the basic, the core Xbox 360 core, I think they called it came with a wire came with wired. I, I believe, I, I mean, I, but, but it still had the hardware inside it to let you buy a $50 wireless controller and use it with that, with that yes. upgraded yes. skew. Yes. They were, they were happy to sell you more controllers if you wanted to get a wireless one for that basic system. And again, you could buy the hard drive separately and slap it on. Yeah. In fact, you could turn a core into a probe with with accessories. There was nothing fundamentally. Well, I think I think that I think the drive tray was not chrome. The I drive the, tray was not chrome on the, the core. The, yeah, the drive tray was just matte plastic. It was sad white plastic. Um, the 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 um, the wireless controller was a big deal because we'd had wireless controllers before the the WaveBird on the on yeah. the on the GameCube. I, I, I never I never owned a WaveBird, but people like worshipped the WaveBird. I have two of them. They're great. I still use them uh, occasionally. Yeah, but but um. But the 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 wireless controller just being a thing, it didn't have physical switches. You just press the button, it would turn on the console. Like it felt like it was integrated I, with the console. And it had the headset plug on it still. So you could get good high quality voice over that wireless link. And the range on the radio and the wireless controller was insane. Yeah, it was like, quite good. Like everything you're describing, again, it's all such old hat at this point. But I, I when I put myself back in that time. Yeah, these are the table stakes now, right? Right. But thinking about thinking about just being tethered to the consoles I was playing with the controller cord back then. And when when this thing came out, not only was it wireless, but for some reason, the turning it on with the controller part was the part that really just like. Yeah. You know, it's like, man, are we really living in the future now? Yeah. There were were some like every one of these little things is like cool in its own right. But it's only when you have like two dozen of these things across this console that hadn't been done before that you really go like, man, this thing kind of changed everything. Well, and also prior to that point, a lot of wireless stuff was janky, right? Like, like you would say, Oh man, I don't want the wireless one. I'm going to take the cord. And yeah. and they were at the right time. The radio stuff had gotten good enough at that point that the 2.4 gigahertz data radios were reliable and had, it was massively over-engineered. So it had an enormous range. Like I, I used to use an Xbox 360 and um, I had a long HDMI cable that went to the living room through two walls uh, and and I would set an Xbox 360 dong- like PC dongle, a USB thing that you plugged in your PC to give you an Xbox 360 controller radio. And I just run the HDMI cable, it would pipe the audio and video, and then I'd control the games from 25 feet away through a couple of walls in the living room with Xbox 360 controllers. And it never like it worked really stupidly well oh also through the tv is worth mentioning so yeah pretty impressive like like enormously over-engineered so so i mean look some parts some parts were enormously over-engineered some parts Uh maybe less so i don't know Uh uh-huh yes yes we'll get there um just to i guess to wrap up the you know we talked about xbla games and and where that went over time um 
you know, they did have DLC on the original Xbox, but the DLC really became like a household word on the 360. You know, we get to talk about horse armor, Brad, somewhat, somewhat questionably dubiously starting with horse armor. Yeah. Which yeah. was I look, would man, have to look up. You want a costume for your horse? It's five bucks. That's a That's, reasonable price. You know, I bought a backpack in Fortnite for uh, 150 Tim Epic bucks the other day. Um, maybe they were just very ahead of their time. I mean, you can still buy it. You can still buy the horse armor. Really? Can, I, can you even still oh, play yeah, Is Oblivion do. backwards compatible? They, they pretty much never. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's funny because they released Skyrim like 23 times and I haven't gotten to see Sir Patrick Stewart in Oblivion in a good 15 years at this point, it feels like. Man, I'm actually there. I mean, there's so many like, do you remember the horse armor articles out there that I'm having a hard time getting to the store page, but uh it's, I'm it's, quite, I'm quite sure you can still buy it. It's, um, the, the horse armor, it was five bucks, right? Here it is. Here it is. I found it. It kind of makes sense. Cause like if you, if they sold you a costume for your character in the game, you'd never be able to see it. But if you just, they sell you a costume for your horse, you see it every That's time. Right. That's right. Now, look, do you want your horse to get hurt? Well, the mistake was they needed to make the horse look like something really stupid. Like if they'd made mm. the horse look like an Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, sure. people would have been stoked. Yes, right. Indeed. Yes. You know, stealth marketing through the Xbox was a whole other like, oh, questionable God. innovation. I mean, you know, gamer pictures in and of themselves were kind of ridiculous and goofy and stupid and fun. But then once they started, like, now you can download Burger King gamer pictures or, oh, you know, now here, download this picture from the forthcoming major motion picture, Men in Black 3. <laughs> Look, I have a lot like of a, garbage uh, buddy uh, Xbox avatars in like, my in my accounts. Yes. Like I, ironically using branded marketing uh, gamer picks. Yeah. Came. It's a whole it's its own whole stupid thing. Also, they they you remember they when they did the avatars, you could buy the costumes for the avatars. Like I I, I put money in the Henson Corporation for some Muppet avatars. And I am sure. pretty sure I I bought a RoboCop costume from my guy. It's You're welcome, well boys. Spent. You're money welcome, well boys. Yeah. Um, horse armor is currently $2.49. I don't know if that's the original pricing or not. Also, that would have been sale. in Microsoft points. Yeah. To be, to be clear at the time, that would have been, that would have been um, 180,000. Uh, I, I think that's a thousand Microsoft. No, points. no, it was, it was 800 it? was 10 bucks. Oh, no, no, no. oh my God. I've got the conversion rate in my so mind. It, I was, it was, I was the 200 points. To the points. It was 400 points to the $5. Yeah. It was 80, 80 points to the dollar because they did the horrible. We're going to. You got to make the math hard so the kids don't just, understand how much money they're spending, Brad. We're just we're just going to round down a little bit to make it seem like less than it actually costs. Yeah. Uh, um, they also did some some kind of nutty tie in stuff with the with the like they would. They took advantage of the fact that you could download entire games on the console by saying, hey, man, if you buy this new we have a new franchise, we want to put this out. Uh, if you if people who buy this disc are going to be able to play the Halo three beta before anybody else. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why we have Crackdown now, it seems like. Crackdown was a great game in its own right. I love I I, I collected all those orbs. I got what, a, I had to collect them all and I did. What happened to the subsequent Crackdown games? Better not discussed, perhaps. Look, we don't we don't need to talk about that. But um, uh, I mean, you know, we, we straight up got advert games eventually. Like, remember the Toyota Yaris game? Oh, yeah. Well, didn't was Sneak King. Was that a Xbox 360 game or yes. that was BK games or 360 games? Yes. Right. Yes. Although you had to go to a Burger King to buy that. I mean, Yaris was free. <laughs> Oh, that's true. That's true. Ain't nobody, ain't nobody paying for <laughs> that. Yaris anyway. game was bad, just for the record. Uh, it had look. It had a, it had achievement points, just like everything else. It had, yeah, it did have charm. Um, 
Last thing about uh, digital games on the console. Um, I don't know for a fact. I guess it's possible the PS3 started doing it first, but I don't think so. The 360 started selling proper retail disc games digitally before the end of this generation. Oh, right. Which, which. Oh, yeah. Time, How can we forget? Even that was a like even after five years, I think it was 2010 when they started doing that. And even after five years of XBLA games, still when they started selling uh, games that you could just walk into a store and buy on disc or buy them on the console, like still, still mind blowing. And 360 was DVDs, right? So it was like yes. an eight gig game max for a single DVD game. Yeah. Remember, I mean, you know, like they're, they're kind of weird, like quasi PC philosophy for that thing continued yeah. to manifest right up to the end. Cause remember eventually they started letting you install games to the hard drive. You still had to authenticate. But right, that's right. You could copy the entire disc to the hard, or and yeah, and then by, it would by, load a little bit faster. And, and yes, it would it would load faster. But also by the end, they were getting to work around where like they would ship a two disc game, and disc two would just be like some install disc. Yeah, and you would, and then you would never have to change discs because it would just be able to read from two DVDs worth of information yeah, off I, of with one disc. I feel like the the other thing, one of the other things they did that was the first time you had games that like could talk to other games, save files, right. In an appreciable way. Cause like the mass no. effect thing would kind of import the save file. Right. Yeah. They, they did that. Yeah. But remember, um, um, metal gear solid on the first PlayStation. Oh, could that's do right. That. That's right. PlayStation did that for a while. Yes. Yes. Um, but, but like being able to sell games like full games online, you know, obviously was where everything was going. And they, they did that first, like covering games at the time. We've probably talked about this before. There was about a one, two month period where it felt like we were entering a new golden age of covering video games. Because, at the beginning or at the end? No, 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 no. When they started doing digital retail games. Oh, right. Because previously, you know, to cover games, we had to get a physical copy of the game mailed to the office, right? Yeah. And typically they weren't going to send more than one copy per outlet, like maybe two if you were lucky. Yeah. I just still remember getting the email from Microsoft when, cra uh, no, it wasn't Crackdown. What was it? Gosh, now I, oh, this is going to kill me. It was, it was something that came out right before Halo Reach. It was Crackdown 2. I'm sorry. That's what it was. Yeah. Crackdown, was Crackdown 2, was 2 before Halo which, Reach. Which again, turned out to not be an incredible game, but getting that email from Microsoft was just like, hey, here's five codes for Crackdown 2. It's funny because like, that, that's one like, of the, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> that, that was one of the first things that, and I mean, I guess I'd gotten Fez, a code for Fez, but that was an arcade game. So it felt yeah, different. So again, again, for like, you know, five, 10, $15 games, it was one thing, but it, it was, it was, I mean, this is kind of inside baseball, like for consumers who cares, but, but it was, it was very much like, oh my God, what do you mean? Like everybody in this office can now play Crackdown too. Like all of us can play it at the same time and talk about it now instead of the one person who was assigned the review or got the code, the copy in. Well, it changed the way you guys did the bombcast for sure. That's, that's yeah. what I mean. But so that lasted for like a month because the second game they did that with was Halo reach. And then Halo reach got leaked off the download server. <laughs> oh, and then no. they stopped doing that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. They, so you can still go back and find the news articles oh. from 2010 because they had Halo reach up for download early. So people could redeem vouchers and get review copies. Yeah, yeah. Somebody figured out how to extract that whole build of the game off the servers. And so the game leaked ahead of time. I don't, I don't know if it was fully playable or maybe they just data mined it and found out still. Like, yeah, yeah, that sucks. Still, it was compromised enough that they instantly stopped that practice. <laughs> I was like, God damn it. It's that funny. Was, that, that was nice while it lasted. Yeah, that like that. Well, and then I mean, yeah, the, the later later platforms kind of 
tighten some of that stuff up. It seems yeah. like. Yes. Yes. Like then it became a whole, that's, that's a, you know, it's more inside baseball of like, you know, they only have so many codes to go around now. Like you yeah. think they could just generate them ad, ad infinitum, but no. Um, but yeah, so, uh, the hardware stuff, we talked, touched a little bit of the controller before it's, it's important to mention like when they were pitching the Xbox 360 before they even announced the hardware, Microsoft was going around to PC outlets and saying, Hey, we're thinking about doing this thing. We want to, we want to have a uniform interface for PC games to use a gamepad. And up until this point, gamepads on PC were like calling them second class citizens is kind of being kind mm -hmm. um, because each game you'd have to load up the game and then you'd have to kind of reverse engineer what the developer intended the controls to be probably without having played the game at all. Like you went into a menu and literally said, okay, I want a to be this and I want B to be reload and C to and X to be uh, slide or, or whatever it happened to be. Were you, were you still mapping literal up and down and left and right on the D pad or the joystick at you, that time? Cause you definitely prior to that, you definitely had to. And I don't know if they had even standardized that much at that point. So kind of prior to halo, the, the controls were, Definitely non-standard. Maybe time uh, time splitters was the other one that was really important. I think for using both sticks together. Um, but but yeah, it wasn't. There was no consensus on like left trigger would be aim down sights and right trigger would be aim and stuff like that. Sometimes you'd well, click the stick to zoom in. Sometimes sure. it would be what I'm what I'm talking about is like. And again, maybe this maybe this had been fixed by this point. But like, remember, like in the '90s, you would boot up a game when oh. you had your gamepad plugged in, and it literally the first time you launched the game, it would be like press up on the D pad press down on the d-pad press left because it it didn't know what up and down were you had to define them manually so like i'm i'm trying to figure out how rudimentary things still were in that sense before the 360 and the windows drivers for it so if you if you had a common gamepad like a logitech or a something something that was like common enough that the vendor the the game developer would have built in a preset for it, it would look at the usb hid and be like oh, okay you're one of these here's what we recommend and it would probably fill in for you. If you had anything, even the slightest bit weird, or you had janky USB drivers on your motherboard or any other number of failure cases, it would not, you'd have to do the thing that you're describing. Um, so, so when they came, when Microsoft came around, I was like, Hey, here's what, here's what we're thinking about for a controller. We think it should have bumpers and triggers and four face buttons and a start and a select and, uh, and two sticks that you can click. And, um, I was like, yeah, that sounds fantastic. Nobody's ever going to support it. And then because the console was successful and because they made the drivers easy to use and the, and the APIs to interface with the controllers were really straightforward. Everybody used it. And now yeah. you plug in a gamepad, and it just works. Even if you plug in a PS4 gamepad or, a, or I mean, this is largely due to some work that Valve has done at Steam, but you plug in a Dual DualSense or a Nintendo Pro Controller, and they work too. And and we, I don't think we would have that without the Xbox either. Definitely not. I mean, you know, not to sound like a broken record here, but the, the number of times you were like doing things for the first time in this era and having your mind exploded, just yeah, you know, it was endless. But that was another one was. The first time you plugged a wired 360 controller into a computer and it just started working well, but and, also, the, and the game recognized it. And then eventually not after, after not too long, they started putting the actual button prompts as iconography yeah. in the game. Right. And it was just like, Oh my God, like the stuff has reached a level of integration that I didn't think it would ever get to. Well, it, the, the, the other thing that's important to, about this whole idea is that that resulted in the Xbox 
default controller layout being pretty much the standard layout for most games. Like there's some variance because Nintendo doesn't have analog triggers and and you know Sony puts the sticks on the bottom instead of a cattywampus up and down thing. But two sticks, four face buttons, two bumpers, two triggers, the sticks click, start and select is the standard now. Yep. And this is this is 100% where that came from, for sure. Also, this is like something I have to remind myself a lot of these days um, to never to never be deceived by things working in a way that seems like they're magic where computers are involved. Like <laughs> anytime anything ever just seems like it happens. It's not it didn't just happen like somebody somebody probably had to like sweat blood to automate that in some way, you know, you know, in terms of like plugging hardware into a thing and having it just work. Oh, yeah. And and and, on, and not just the hardware side or the Windows side or the driver side or the, even the Xbox side. It's that they also went to all the these studios and were like, look, we're going to give you a shitload of controllers and we're going to give you some early busted ass APIs that probably don't work real good. And we promise that by the time you ship your game, it's going to just work. And then they did. Yeah. Like, you know, whether whether it's at the level of like firmware or a microcontroller or like plug and play logic and a driver that goes along with it or like developers using some API at the game level, you know, like like tons of work has to happen behind the scenes for something to just get plugged in and go. Yeah. Uh, and and like that was a, that was a huge, huge milestone for for kind of cross platform between PC and uh, and console. Well, it, it's funny because like that development stuff and the, the outreach that happened with that was the culmination of at this point 10ish years of uh of DirectX work. You know, they shipped the 360 shipped with DX9 um and a D3D9 capable GPU. Uh it had programmable shaders. It had it was a very Microsofty way of building software. You know, you use Visual Studio and you compiled stuff to it and you send it across a network and you can you could do debug stuff on a PC. Oh, dude, and get me started. I think we've talked before. You know, we had we had debug Xboxes in the office to run uh, unfinished games on. Yeah, and to get and screenshots like, off of the consoles. Right. Yes. Yeah. So we so we got we got our hands on the Xbox neighborhood tool that was for developers at some point that let you let you connect to an Xbox over the network and and take JPEGs of whatever was in the frame buffer out of it. And that's how we started getting high quality Xbox screenshots. Yeah. To, to, to give a sense of, of, uh, uh, not so capture cards were difficult and produced kind of bad results. Yep. The way we often would get screenshots for the magazines, not in probably the PS, like once we had debugs and could get grab frame buffer, uh, images out, uh, that, that, that would obviously work. But before it wasn't, it wasn't too much too long before that, that we had a dark room with a camera on one end and you would sit in the room that was dark with the exposure on the camera set to a really specific place and shoot pictures of the, of the TV on, of the, the, on which you were playing the game. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think people don't realize how janky it was to get screenshots and footage of video games back then. Like I, I, I remember, you know, again, I was deep into making video game content on a website at that point, but like, the day I realized, oh, my God, we're going to be able to get screenshots for the website of Xbox 360 games that look just as good as the, you know, I don't love the term bullshot, but, you know, like the the kind of manicured shots, yeah, the, that the marketing screenshots that, that the, you were provided by the platform, yeah, yeah. Like the, the marketing screenshots that are coming out before release, like, oh, my God, our screenshots are going to be just as high quality as that. And that was because it was a network connected console with like 
Windows-esque accessibility features for developers and stuff, right? Yeah, I did a handful of reviews for OXM back in the day, and they had a whole debug rig that they'd send home with you to to take, get screenshots. And it was like, hey, here's a foot pedal that's yep. just a keyboard that you would jam as when you wanted the screenshot, and, you, and then you'd get 200 screenshots out of it, and you'd be able to go through and get exactly the thing you wanted. It was amazing. To be clear, the the interface on that the Xbox neighborhood tool was very much it was very like programmer gooey. It was just like, OK, somebody hacked this together with like whatever Win32. Like well, this is just a very basic control panel. So like the best you could do was like tab the focus over to the screenshot button and then like, yeah, use your foot to hit space over and over or whatever. Yeah, it seemed like the same tool that you probably would have used if you were in a big studio and you wanted to get debug builds over to yes, testers and stuff was, like that. That's exactly what it was. It yeah. was for debugging. It was not for whatever dumb thing we were doing. Yeah, but but having access to that meant the coverage was better, frankly. Yes. Yeah. Um, they, the the hardware, like it was the, it was, well, I mean, the Wii was the least capable console of that generation, but it was oh, yeah. easier to develop for, but less capable theoretically than the ps3 right yeah i don't know how big that divide is i think like in the final analysis the ps3 was a bit more powerful but i don't think it was a huge gap Uh, well the feeling i always had from talking to people who were working during that time is that even it didn't matter how much more capable the ps3 was because it was such a pain in the ass to build software for yeah that like you you your any benefit any any hardware lead it had was lost by the fact that you had to have one of like 12 people in the world working on it to suck that power out of it right um whereas on on the xbox side you just wrote a windows ass windows program and hit the xbox compile button and it kind of just worked um obviously it's not that that simple because there was there was stuff like the memory pool which which was uh it was a at that time pretty unique design for a 3d accelerated console I'm pretty sure it was the first console. Uh, maybe somebody can correct me that had just one giant pool of memory that everything could access or not everything, but the CPU and the GPU both were working off the same memory. D- definitely in the shader era. I mean, it was, yeah. the fr- it was the first thing that had programmable shaders and, and had that kind of an architecture. Right. There was some, I, th- I think there was some older stuff that had yeah. uh, unified memory that, but, but pre 3d or early 3d, like the was, N64. That, yeah. That was like kind of pre what we think of as a GPU. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that it had a pretty good sized chunk of Ram with 512 megabytes, uh, I think Epic took, took, uh, the, the, the blame, the, the, I don't know. They, was, they seem proud of the fact that they got Microsoft to put an extra 256 megabytes of Ram that, in that thing. That, that was always the story that went around, or they may have said that explicitly. Mark said it explicitly. The, he was like, okay, Hey, you're yeah. welcome. I that saved a billion like people. Something he would say. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they were basically like, you know. Here, here is what we are working on. It's going, you know, here's Gears of War. Like, if you want this to run on your console, you need to double the memory. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, Gears is its own thing. Like, I, I don't want to get into the nature of the game so much because I think the, the the cover shooter era ended up being like kind of a bummer eventually or incredibly oversaturated. But but in terms of the way that game looked, I mean, that was like that was like a top five ever moment of oh my god i can't believe video games look like this now it was real bumpy when that thing everything was bumpy and shiny yep also gears this is the generation where they real where people realized if you took a popular song that everybody knew and played it slower 
mm-hmm. made a slow, sad version of it, then it was real good for trailers. It's so, not, you know, thanks. Not, not, all, not all innovations are positive. Yeah, fair. Um, the, the, I mean, there's a lot of technology stuff. The the there were also missteps on this one, like the not having the hard drive be required. I think by the end of that generation, everybody who was still at some point midway through, in order to play games on the Xbox, you could not have done it with just memory cards anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they stopped selling SKUs without hard drives eventually, Pretty of course. Quickly. But, but yeah. I think they at some point, at some level, you always had to account for the possibility that there would not be a hard drive. Well, one of the things we haven't talked about yet is that they cut the previous Xbox short. Yes. Right? So yeah. the development of this thing, they accelerated uh, partly because the first Xbox, I think cost a ton of money to make because it was an X86 X86 part in an NVIDIA chipset yeah, with, with an NVIDIA a GPU. Essentially a GeForce 3 almost. Yeah. And it was an Enforce and, mother or what became the Enforce motherboard later right, on. Right. And, and just an off the shelf, you know, uh, three and a half inch hard drive. Like, yeah, you pulled, pulled that thing apart. Obviously it had a custom main board, but it kind of, and that was the word even when it came out was like, this thing's kind of just a PC. Well, they, like when this they, thing is kind of just off the shelf PC parts. When they were pitching it, they were like, Hey, we're going to make a console. That's a PC. Right. The, the OG right. Xbox, the 360, they were like, we're making a console ass console. Yeah. 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 Like where the 360 got its own custom power PC CPU, like it got it got custom hardware the way that a proper console does. Yeah. Um. But but they, so they raced to market and they got it out. of the, Like they were so they were so paranoid that they were going to get beaten to the punch that they ended up beating the Sony out with the PS3 by a full year. Yeah, that's always been my understanding. I've, I have I have not read Dean Takahashi's 360 book, so he talks that about was, that a fair amount in there. Yeah, yeah. wasn't wasn't it wasn't it the the executives were convinced that Sony was also going to ship in 05 and that they had to be out. Well, so they they had the feeling that they were late from okay. the very beginning because the remember the original Xbox was was late as well, right? Yes. It was after yeah. the PS2. Yes, um, I least, think it was around, around the same time as the GameCube, but yes, definitely after the PS2. Yeah, and 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 they they felt like. They felt like Sony had been talking to IBM for an extended period of time at that point, and they'd they'd been working on GPU stuff, and that they were they were convinced that they were moving it for 2005. Yeah, and then they did not. I, I didn't. I, I I knew that I knew that the 360 processor was also PowerPC based, but I didn't realize it actually uses the same architecture as the cell. The 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 Xbox. Yes, I'm just straight up reading from Wikipedia here. The cores of the Xenon processor were developed using a slightly modified version of the PlayStation 3's cell processor PPE architecture. I did not know that. That's fascinating. Uh, according to, so you remember the cell was a kind of joint development mm-hmm. effort between Toshiba uh, and IBM. Yeah, IBM, Sony, and Toshiba. Yeah. Uh, according to David Shippey and Mickey Phipps, this doesn't say who they are, right? presumably IBM employees. The IBM employees were hiding, quote, hiding their work from Sony and Toshiba. IBM's partners in developing the cell processor. Of course. Uh, well, I mean, usually, usually that stuff is um, when you have like when it, I don't know if this is how they do it still, but my understanding is that they silo off the different group, like they're, like the group that was working on the Wii processor and the and the uh, sorry the the um, yeah the the Wii processor and then then the groups working on the the Xbox and PS. Uh, I guess PS3. there was no PS3 processor at ATI at that point, right? Yes. Um, but the, the they would have been completely 
firewalled from each other so they don't yeah. have any kind of crossover at all yeah all, all three of the consoles in this generation were power pc based so they all had common I, had ibm people yeah to, to some degree yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know i'm not like suggesting anything illicit was going on there no 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 but it but it was like i'm I'm sure there was hey i heard about something kind of right. like like you you hear about stuff there's you, honestly there's a lot you can tell by watching what people are hiring for if you're if you want to do a little bit of uh, totally legal uh, industrial espionage, you just watch what the hirings hirings look like. So sure. Um, anyway, uh, they 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 got it out a year early. The official announcement at E3 that year, I I, I watched it again for this. I hadn't watched it in a really long time. It is hopelessly optimistic, Brad. <laughs> okay. In and, what ways? Well, they're so. I mean, we we I, we can play the clip, but they they're talking about expanding gaming and they're talking about reaching tens of millions of people and hundreds of millions of people, but primarily focused in one demographic. Before, first off, the whole thing is disjointed in a way that is in a stark contrast to the kind of early to mid return to jobs like pre iPhone, post iPod, kind of Apple keynotes of the time because Apple knew with a hundred percent certainty that that room was full of press people, but they were talking to people who were going to buy their shit. And on this Jay Allard and Robbie Bach and, and Peter Moore are standing around and they're having like a casual, you know, old suit guy, middle-aged suit guy, young, cool guy in a sport coat and a, and a, and a hoodie guy talking about video games, the way that business dudes that wear khakis talk about video games <laughs> uh-huh, as executives do. Yeah. And, and they were like, they were, they were at E3. So it's an industry event. They're talking about market size and demographics. But that makes sense. But then they're also talking about how they're going to expand the demographic from the current 18 to 29 year old male core mm-hmm. video game player demographic into everyone. That's right. But we're not going to leave those guys behind. Cause we love those guys. Like we're, they're not, we've got to reassure them. Right. We we're, don't want to offend the launch customers. Yes. We're not, we're not just going to sell to hero protagonist. We're also going to sell to velocity girl. Yes. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Fucking hero protagonist. Um, but, but like, it's a weird contrast to watching like the first iPod keynote where they, ve- where Steve jobs laser focused on who he's talking to. Right. He's talking to people who love music as much as he loves music. And he wants you to know that. And like, I have no doubt that Robbie Bach and Jay Allen, and especially Peter Moore, God, Peter Moore loves games. I know for a yeah. fact Peter Moore loves games. Yes. But they were talking to people who buy games for Walmart and Target and GameStop. And they were not talking. And, and, and all, oh, by the way, we know that the nerds that play video games are also going to be watching. Yes. Yeah. But to be fair, I mean, Steve Jobs stagecraft when it came to project and product announcements was pretty much unparalleled. I mean, the guy was a huge asshole in a lot of ways, but like he could command a room when he was showing you a new thing like nobody else before or since. And he clearly didn't have a team of marketing experts behind him telling him to make sure that he hit all these different points. Cause yeah. there are a couple of moments where like there's a moment where I think Robbie Bach puts his hand on the console. He's like, shit, I put my hand on the console early. He takes it off and then he puts it back on, on the queue. Oh my God. I'm like, I'm like cringing. I'm not, I'm not even watching this footage and I'm cringing just hearing you describe this. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's kind of sweet actually, because like they're they're they, they've, it's like they're doing karaoke for the thing. They're like, why do, why are there millions of people watching these things? We've yeah. got to get millions of people to watch our things, but they didn't exactly understand why people watch it. And, um, they also were right 
about a lot of stuff. I'm gonna, I want to play this Jay Allard clip now where he talks about expanding gaming. 30 years ago, we saw the birth of this industry with the arrival of the first 2D games. Games that appealed to everyone. They found a very broad audience that numbered in the tens of millions. And we all remember those great ads from that era where entire families surrounded the TV on the couch playing games together. Well, then we made the leap, the leap from 2D to 3D, and we expanded and jumped our industry past the 100 million mark. But at that very same time, we narrowed our scope to a much more limited demographic. Today, we're poised to make the leap again, this time from 3D to the HD era. Now, of course, the HD era is about high-definition graphics and unbelievable sound, but the implications of the HD era are even more profound than that. It's about the ability to connect with your community and to personalize your experience. It's about unleashing the creative power of human energy. If we work together to create games and experiences that really deliver on the promise of the HD era, as an industry, we'll take games places they've never been before. In the HD era, we're going to reach one billion people with our medium. This is a great industry. It's a great business. Our revenues keep growing faster than music, than movies, than television. We're at the cutting edge of technology and the leading edge of imagination. But we used to fill the living room with kids and adults, men and women. But today, we're relying mainly on one type of consumer. Now, don't get me wrong. We love that guy, the 18 to 34-year-old male. He's the backbone of the industry. And with guys like Dead or Alive 4, he's guaranteed to get the incredible gaming experience that he craves. But 360 is also the product that's going to push gaming back into the mainstream. The product that will fill that couch up with people from every demographic and from every market. How in the earth are we going to do that? Well, it takes a product, a product with clear, compelling vision, a vision that living entertainment is powered by human energy. And Xbox 360 is that product. We believe that when you unlock the power of human energy, we're going to bring everybody back to the living room. At the same time, we're going to unlock the potential, not only of the medium, but of the entire industry. Next generation, a billion people will play our games. And it's not just because they figured out the latest combo move or they figured out how to get past level 14, but because we've unlocked the secret to creating games and entertainment experiences that they can call their own. Games that provide entertainment experiences that appeal to everyone. We've been working for years to fulfill this vision. And the result is Xbox 360. It's the product I've always dreamed of creating. It's the product that will fill the living room back with people who can't, get, can't wait to get their hands on the controller, to get into the game, to be part of the excitement, and to join us in the community. They want to bring their own creativity to the experience and pay off the true promise of our medium. The essence of our vision is reflected in the name, Xbox 360. It's the product that delivers experiences where the player is always at center stage. Yeah, he's really walking a line in there, huh? Oh, yeah, man. But it's it goes on for such a long time. He's like a billion people, and then he gets real excited about revenue. 
real excited about revenue for a consumer talk, right? As, as, as much as he's in there talking to buyers, like you said, he's definitely also talking to investors, shareholders, investors, oh. players. They want everybody to be happy about this keynote. It's like he strains to get to the highfalutin, like pie in the skies, like how oh, we're going to we're going to unleash the power of human creativity with this. And then like immediately just slips right back into like talking about narrowing scope and limited demographics. It's like it's so Microsoft. Well, And, and like I could understand it if they broke this up by like business dad, Robbie Bach and like industry icon, Peter Moore, and then cool, hip, young executive Jay Allard. Cool, slight, maybe slightly questionable uncle Jay Allard. Yeah, but but no, they they get he's just in here. And also. I, I have to imagine, think about think back to 2005. Online's still scary a little bit, right? There's mm-hmm. a little bit of like, man, you don't want to let your kids go online. They'll get bad. They'll get, they'll get, they'll get, they'll get kidnapped and they'll get brought into a cult. And next thing you know, your kids are going to be like doing internet drugs. And so I think that's why they were pushing all the, they were like HG generation means it's going to be social and you're going to have your communities. They don't say online at all in there. Yeah. It's just, it's just, And he just keeps going and going and going and going. You know, I'll I'll give him one thing. He's in there talking about like, yeah, you know, he mentioned the thing you said about he's like, you know, our our core, our core guy. We love that guy. We're not going to alienate that guy. Yeah. You know, he's saying, you know, we want to get everybody else in front of the TV, too. They did it with the Netflix app. Well, <laughs> it was, it was not, it was not the games. It was the, it was the fact that the 360 basically had like the first really good Netflix app that actually got everybody in the house sitting in front of a 360. But also, you know who really did it? Apple, Google, sorry, Microsoft. Well, later, you know, you were, they were right that it was going to be a billion people. Yeah. Just not their platform. Yes. Later, later. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, during the life of this console, for sure, the billion people got online, just not so much on the on the on their couches. That first Xbox Netflix app was a pretty big deal, though. Yeah, but they didn't sell a billion boxes. No, no, certainly not. Um, Then the last the last part about this is after all this launch stuff happened, they sent Xboxes. They sent they must have sent out so many Xboxes. Yeah, there was a there was a huge marketing push with like the Elijah Wood MTV special, the zero hour launch event in the Mojave Desert. Every basketball player and baseball player posting pictures of themselves playing Xbox in their hotel rooms. Musicians. I mean, they blanketed the press with 360 stuff. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they, like they like got behind it big magazine editors got were important enough to get Xboxes. It yeah. was shocking. Um, the the and then and then and this is the part if this was like a behind the music, we'd play this the dun 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 dun, 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 dun music. <laughs> mm-hmm. The failures started to pile up, Brad. Yeah. Yes. Yes, they did. I remember the first time I heard the phrase red ring of death and it was, Hey, do you have an Xbox we can borrow? One of ours conked out because there was a pile of Xboxes in every magazine in the company Mm -hmm. and we were funneling them into OXM so that they could keep working. Oh, you guys had that too? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We had a good pile and a bad pile. Well, yeah, eventually, eventually the bad pile outweighed the good pile. Yeah. But 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 like, yeah, we straight up had like a stack of extra Xboxes and like sitting in the original cardboard shipping boxes, just waiting yep. to be broken open because you knew eventually they were going to be needed. The, the and, coffins, the coffins never lay empty. Yeah. Uh, so so the Red Ring of Death 
uh, started out in the way that major manufacturing defects do with like people posting there and, Hey, my Xbox just stopped working. Do you, has anybody seen this before? What does it mean when three red lights are on the front? And it turns out it means that it was going to crash anytime it was under any kind of load. And then eventually it would stop working. Um, people before Microsoft acknowledged that it was an issue and started repairing them, people came up with some crazy fixes, including, you know, load it up, load up the CPU and GPU with a high powered game and wrap it in towels so that the mm-hmm. vents don't work and it gets hot to the point that the solder remelts and maybe reflows long enough for it to work again for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you ever actually try that? I I might have once, actually. I, okay. I can't remember. I, I was always afraid to. I was afraid I'd burn the house down. Uh, I don't think it was very effective. It, it seems like it would buy you a couple of months, maybe. I, um, I, I, I don't know if we've ever gotten an answer on this, but I don't know. If, was it a 100% failure rate on that first run? No. So Was it not? The 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 There were people that did, like, repair companies before... Okay, so it's hard to know because also there were probably some consoles that were only used for like Geometry Wars and stuff that wouldn't hit it hard enough to heat it up to the point that it actually died. Like my first one died when I was playing, I think, Dead Rising, which was one of the first games to use multiple CPU cores, which generated a lot of heat, which then, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, There were almost certainly some consoles out there that people used for Hexic and Geometry Wars and nothing complicated and never got hot enough to cause the problem. I, th- I think I would exempt those from my question just because they weren't subjected to normal use. But I, I, I guess what I mean is like given normal usage patterns, was it guaranteed that every because anecdotally, that was certainly my experience. So the range of failures as reported by repair companies up until that point who looked at large sample sizes, like thousand plus sample sizes, where it was like 30 percent, probably. Wait, really? Man, I would have thought it was a lot higher than that. industry standards at that time were like a three percent failure rate. So sure. 10x 10x worse still still pretty bad when when one of every three you're selling is becoming inoperable that's pretty bad yeah the they didn't really acknowledge it for a while Uh, but when they did they actually did a pretty good job dealing with it i would say especially given that up until that point i don't think i remember anything of this scale failing that people acknowledged and made right Um, which makes sense for a a product is designed to last for eight to 10 years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And all, and also, I mean, look at the investment they made in this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from R and D to marketing to the whole push behind trying to break into this emerging market. Like they kind of had no choice, but to make this right. Yeah. This, this was essentially them. The, like had they not made this right, they would have lost the multi-billion dollar beachhead that they spent billion, the, the beachhead they spent billions of dollars uh, establishing. Yeah. Um, and, and they, uh, there was a story of uh, uh, where Peter Moore shared the experience he had of walking into Balmer's office to tell him about the fix where he was just repeating to himself, okay, we're going to send them an empty box via FedEx. They're going to pack the console in that empty box. They're going to send it back to us. And then in the next three weeks, they're going to get it back fixed. Uh, it was going to cost up more than a billion dollars, one, 1. 1.15, 1.25, somewhere in their billion dollars to fix all the failed consoles of that. A quarter of a billion dollars was going to go to, according to this, this story, Peter Moore to FedEx. Um, and he went to Balmer and he's like, told him what was going to happen. Balmer's like, how bad is it? Here's what we're going to do. What's it going to cost? Okay, do it. And that was that was all that was it that was the whole thing okay i was i was bracing for some like balmer blew his top kind of thing but i don't know that peter moore would would tell the true version of that story yeah, if balmer fair. blew his top fair. i mean 
the way this stuff happens typically is that somebody's like, yeah, you know, we're going to, the, so Microsoft doesn't say that this is actually what happened, but the German magazine CT, which is a famous computer magazine, clocked the problem at the time that was later confirmed 10 years later confirmed by Microsoft, which was, uh, that they used a lead free solder that didn't handle heating and cooling cycles particularly well and developed micro fractures. Uh, in 2021, Microsoft finally as part of this big giant documentary about the Xbox, the, the 20 year anniversary of the Xbox, they did officially say, Hey, the problem was bad solder on the GPU flip chip, which developed very small cracks over heating cycles that caused it to have a bad connection and, 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 and crash when on under load. Um, and and most certainly everything I've been able to read is that most certainly that was a result of an EU requirement to use lead free solder, which was not a common thing at the time, or not super common at the time in 2005. And they used the wrong lead free solder, which probably yeah. saved them a hundredth of a cent per unit or something ridiculous. And they spent yeah. billions of dollars fixing. Well, the compounding problem was that they rushed to market as fast as they could and yeah. just didn't do the due testing to uncover something like well, this. No, the the thing uh, the things I've read have said that they did the testing. So there was a a person who was vetted by a couple of publications to be a former Microsoft employee who came back came out with, "Hey, here's what actually happened." And that person reported that on early like hundred unit first runs off the line batches, they would have thirty eight working Xboxes out of a run of one hundred. So huh. they probably knew that there were some problems. I don't think they expected it to be a thirty percent fail rate. Sure. Um, or, or and, and just to be clear, that 30% fail rate is a number that came out of people who were testing and repairing consoles that were not covered by the three-year extended warranty that Microsoft made. So it's a it is a number that I would describe as suspect. Microsoft never gave an official fail rate. They never listed it as anything more than we had a write-down on the red ring problem on their annual reports. So it's it will likely never know what the actual fail rate was. Sure. Um, um and also at the time, you know, they they rushed the first fix out, which is to try to epoxy the GPU down to the board to keep it from flexing. Yeah. Um, which worked for a little boards. bit. Like, I think it, I think it was like somewhat effective. That was the Jasper. Uh, that was the ones that I, had HDMI. I think I started with that. No, cause I, I think these were existing boards. I think they were literally taking the boards that they had already produced and trying to oh. add this, add this as a band aid. But then, yeah, they, they, they rapidly, you know, every console goes through rapid hardware revisions, even when you can't see cosmetically externally that they yeah. have. Um, so yeah, they you know they added an HDMI port after like a year and like pretty quickly they were shipping. Gosh, maybe it was the Jasper revision was the one that you wanted to get. Like once your first Xbox died and you used your Xbox enough that you were like, I just want to buy a new one that works. And you were like staring at product codes or UPCs or whatever on the box trying to make sure like this. I'm, I've got to make sure this is a Jasper. I, so I had a Jasper that died. So they, they yeah. all like it, 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 the problem wasn't solved until much later. My, Even when they got to the slims really was when you my, knew you had a safe Xbox. My, my memory was the S model. The, the, the first big, which was 2008, no 2010. I think 2010. I was working at tested when that, when that came right. out. Yes. We were in the Sausalito basement. Yeah. And the uh, 20, those five years after launch almost that they rolled out the, the radical redesign that was the one with black. The, yeah, they had the Xbox 360 oh. on the stage and he lifted it off. Yes. We haven't even talked about the inhale. 
What was the inhale? They wanted the original design. Like they 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 made a big deal out of the design houses that they contracted oh, to right. work they worked on. The, with, um, they worked with the people who ended up making the headsets, right? Uh, I uh, Astro. I can't, I can't remember. It was Astro who, Studios and um, I can't remember the Japanese firm. I can't remember. Yeah, they, they, I think there were like three studios that worked on it, but um, Astro, uh, Astro Studios. Yes, Astro actually, Studios. Which, yeah, they yes. ended up making headphones. Anyway, the, the the whole the joke, especially around our office at the time, the joke about the 360 was that they had said they wanted to, wanted it to look like an inhale. That's why you get this, this <laughs> kind, kind of, con, the, con, the kind of con, it, concave look to it. Wow. Top and bottom because it yeah. looks like it's inhaling. Um, and then, you know, mm-hmm. once the S came along, that, that look evolved and became more angular. But it wasn't <laughs> until that S model launched that I feel like I truly thought like, okay, this thing works now. You can just buy this and expect it to work. Hero protagonist loves an inhale. Yeah. I am. Yeah. I, I like it's, it's a, it's such a, I mean, there, there were other failures. Um, Oh, on, yes. the, on the 360, the disc it, scratching it, thing yeah, impacted a bunch of people. It's it's somewhat forgotten, but early models of 360 would eat discs by scratching them until they became unreadable. I think that was only in vertical orientation. It was in vo- vertical orientation is because they didn't balance. They didn't yeah. lock the drive in 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 the vertical spot. And if you bumped it while it was running, it would hit there. It would hit stuff and scratch. So three, three symmetrical, three rings on the outside edge of the disc, I think, yeah, was what happened yeah. usually. Yeah, I, I lost a game to that one time. It was not pleasant. They um the the other non-technical failures, just pure ecosystem failures in the HGDVD, mm-hmm. which was which was you know, the the battle for high def discs was quickly and completely won by Blu-ray. I still don't I I, I like I mean, that's probably a whole other episode is why, why a Blu-ray beat HGDVD. It, it came down to business and I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember at the time, like some, it was some investment studios, got made, some, yeah. some, yeah, it was some kind of strategic alliance or something happened on the business side that finally just kind of locked in Blu-ray's dominance. Like yeah. HGDVD was not bad. Like Blu-ray ultimately, I, from what I remember, like Blu-ray definitely has the higher capacity, but I believe the on-disc software was better with HD DVD. Blu ray had higher capacity. Um, like, the, I, like I remember, like the, the Blu ray menus were authored in Java, and that got a lot of criticism. Like the the capabilities of what the Blu ray. Granted, who cares about software running off of movie discs at this point? Like whatever. Yeah. But, but at the time, like that's that was that was the interface you had to work through, right? The, and I, my the 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 codecs that were available were slightly better on the Blu-ray side. Yes, that's, that is definitely true. Ultimately, and I, I think that was a that was downstream of the bigger discs, right? Like, partly were, it was between the bigger discs. Partly it was because the HDTV was backed by Microsoft, so it had Microsoft codecs oh, at the time, which were license, kind of licensing, shitty licensing stuff as well. So yeah, yeah like I've, I mean, I have ripped a number of HDTVD discs uh, off yeah. of that off of that drive because you could plug it into a PC and also just use it that way. It was um, VP8, right? Uh, I think VC1, VC1, VC1 is the most common codec yeah. that I've seen from HDDVD discs. But, but I think largely the other thing was that there was a um, there was concerns about the copy protection on HDVD from the studios, sure. which ended up being boot because the Blu-ray copy protection didn't fare any better in the long term, but it did last a little yeah. bit longer than HDVD stuff. Yes, yes. And then the, this is the like the 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 bullet point that's going to get expanded the most i think in conversation speaking speaking of ill-fated add-ons the connect 
I kind of like, like the Connect, Brad. Ah, uh, man. Even, I didn't even. Even the second model connect on the Xbox one didn't work anywhere near what they promised. I think, I think for me, I liked the connect because I didn't, all of my memories are of connect are doing fun things with you guys at giant bomb and not having to deal with it in a review context, oh, which would have been maddening. That. Oh my God. Failed like, product. Like just completely fucking failed to deliver on what it was supposed to do. I, 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 I think, I think about like, the double fine thing that they made where you could make the floor lava. Yeah, that was, that was goofy and fun. Like occasionally somebody like somebody with the creativity of a double fine would recognize that thing for what it was and come up with something cool and interesting with it. Yeah. But all of the attempts to make like actual serious games around it were complete disasters. Oh yeah. No, no, that the steel battalion game was a, that was an Xbox One game, I think, but it was one of the most infuriating review experiences of my life, yeah. for sure. And but even at the platform level, just like the interface elements that it was supposed to enable, just never worked like they were supposed to. What do you mean? Your, your pinching hand gesture to launch mm-hmm. the app didn't work for uh, weird. Nope. Um, anyway, yeah, and it was also kind of stupid expensive for what it for the it, way it worked. It was expensive, but it was successful. Like it it sold gangbusters due to the promise. They sold like they they sold it by sold. I mean like. Well, people pitched a vision parents for bought them because they well. wanted their kids to move around the living room instead of sitting on the couch playing Call of Duty and eating Cheetos. And I think just everybody thought, you know, the pitch videos they made for this thing were pretty enticing. It's just that it never actually worked. Yeah. Right. But but because it sold so well, that led to the ascendance of Don Matrick and the focus on Connect and TV and, you know, entertainment apps with the Xbox One. Like it kind of torpedoed basically what happened with the connect torpedoed the entire next generation of the xbox well it, it's interesting you say that because phil spencer came out last week and was talking about that but but like did they not look at the attach rate for games on that thing i can't imagine that they were they were selling like 10 games per connect or anything ridiculous like that like none people had to buy the first two games to be like man this doesn't work anyway you got me man hubris yeah. is all i can say throw the pickle at the screen that's yeah. all I know. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a weird, like it, it's, it, it's been fun going back and looking at it and seeing what ended up being the important things and what ended up being not. And when you, when you look at 360 retrospectives now, it's, they do this thing that we did, which is just like, oh yeah, by the way, they had this problem with the hardware early on where the, all, the 30% of all the consoles probably died and, and then they had to spend a billion or two fixing them for the people that they hosed. And then they never, honestly, they were never really great. It just kind of was like better for a while. And then you bought one of the, the second rev consoles, but, but it's like, I don't think that the PS4 PS5 even switch, like you wouldn't have a universal, you wouldn't have multiple accounts on a switch where everybody has their own friends list and the ability to join games and, and jump into other people's games in the same way that you do now. Yeah. And I mean, even in the era, you saw Sony pivoting constantly trying to keep up with what Microsoft was doing, right? Like trophies were not a launch feature on the PS3. Oh, and PS3 was the generation that Sony went offline entirely for like a three month period when they were hacked. Right. 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 But you know, stuff like stuff like trophy, like they were adding, they were, they, they were playing catch up through large swaths of the PS3 era. Yeah. Like adding hacking features into the PS3 to, try to keep up with what Microsoft was doing. Well, and and then you also saw, they also established the norms for things like, um, like the, the, 
the owner rights for digital downloaded games, yeah. right? The fact that like the idea of a home console that you could always play, whether it's online or offline. And if you were online with your non home console, you'd be able to play, but not if you were offline, which is, I mean, being real shitty for consumers compared to just buying a thing that you can move from machine to machine. But it did let us do things like I played multiplayer games. I played multiplayer burnout with my wife on our second 360 when we each had our own TV with one download because she had the home one and I had the one that was always online or, or whatever. Right. right. Um, and, and, and I mean, that carried forward even to stuff like the switch and the PS4 and the, and the other, the other games, like this is a console that established literally almost all of the norms of the modern internet connected console. Absolutely. And then Microsoft blew it on the next generation. <laughs> they sure did. Uh, you know, even the Xbox one had a lot of interesting features that I felt like carried on from the smart stuff they were doing with the 360, like the, um, like automated dashboard updates and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. that stuff was in the background of the, of the failures with it, with connect Two and the cable box integration and all that weird stuff. But like quietly behind the scenes, they were still innovating on just basic usability stuff. Like, Oh, this thing will just update itself overnight. You don't have to, in fact, automated patch downloads never existed on the 360 did they like see i'm forgetting you like, launched the game and it would download right. it well but the downloads were small so it didn't matter right that was but, the trade-off right is like the xbox one downloads could get to be like 20 gigs and it, it was really really slow so you had to do it overnight otherwise people would have to spend 20 minutes waiting for their game to launch right but you know that that's another example of a feature with the xbox one that now we just take for granted but games patching overnight while the console is in sleep or the console even being in sleep, basically. Uh, yeah. And then, and then things like, Hey, you can have, uh, y your console will tell you what's on TV on your cable box, which you have plugged into the That's input port on the back of it. Maybe less, less good. That one appealing, appealing. Yeah. Mm, but, yeah. But anyway, yes, they have between mainly the 360 and to an extent, the Xbox one, like they, they absolutely have defined what a modern console should do at the system level. Yeah, it's 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 fun because it's been it's been fun going through, back through this because I you you forget how what a big deal stuff like voice was yeah. right and and um you know the 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 historical ramifications of this are that they came into the the. They they spent this entire generation, like you said, with Sony on the back foot, um, and they came into the next generation with an opportunity to to just continue what they'd done and then they launched the xbox one with a frankly incomprehensible digital rights management scheme for games and a download only or download primary like even when you bought a disc game it would be a download and all the stuff that like we understood because we were it was our job to understand it so we could explain it to people but consumers and people watching pretty roundly rejected to the point that, you know, they, they, they never really recovered. Yeah. And, you know, they launched a console that just didn't play games quite as well as the PS4 did. I mean, the difference was kind of negligible for, for casual people, but for people who are hyper into video games, like, you know, this console is hitting 1080p regularly. This other one is not. Yeah. Was kind of a death knell. I, I don't know if stuff like that, like, I don't know if normal humans, normal people who play games, I mean, people who follow games definitely care about that stuff. I feel like people who just play games don't, aren't, aren't as aware of that, but they are aware of things like 
oh, hey, every time I try to start this thing, it's it's like downloading a patch and it's 20 minutes before I can play the game. If I play a game once a week or once a month and and that that kind of stuff is is a is a bad time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, the, the, the 360 ended strangely. And obviously the console that came after was kind of not great in a lot of ways, but most of the 360 era was pretty industry defining. I mean, like if I think we're being honest, kind of both of the, both of the next gen consoles carried on the crimes of the previous generation and didn't make some of that stuff better. Like the download speeds, all of that, like there, there was a lot of high level jank in the next generation that really wasn't solved until the PS five and the, and the series consoles came out as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it makes me a little wistful going through all this stuff because it was such an exciting time because so many wildly new innovative things were happening. And now all of that stuff is just kind of has been hammered out and is just part of, like you said, like you said, it's all just the table stakes now for yeah. a new machine. And I don't I don't think there's probably ever going to be that period of rapid innovation again because so much of it has just the work has been done already. It's it's why when people ask me what the most important you know, it's it's why I think it's one of the most imp- like Microsoft lost to the living room, but defined what consoles are and and like it, they probably would have made more money if they hadn't lost the next generation, uh, which just to be clear, when we say that we're referencing uh, Phil, Phil Spencer talking about the first digital generation being the most important one specifically because that's where you establish your your games library. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was a good point that he made that I hadn't actually fully considered that, you know, a lot of people are, especially for my purposes, like as somebody who covers games, because like I have games everywhere. Yeah. Because in a lot of cases, it's like whatever version we get sent, you know, it's like, oh, I have this on the Xbox one. I have this on the PS4 because that's just the review code that showed up. So I don't yeah. think about it in those terms, but people who amassed a library on a console in the last generation are definitely going to be loyal to that console because they can keep all those games. Well, especially as backwards compatibility became right. uh, again, table stakes for the next generations. Right. So yeah. How are you feeling about this, Brad? This is, this is up there among, I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking like, what are the most influential consoles of all time? Like this is absolutely up there. It's like this you and know? the SNES it's for like me this probably. Or, or the NES or something. You yeah. Know? It's like, I, it's it's definitely like top three probably i started to say most important important is a very broad word that can be, people can interpret and argue about all, all kinds of different ways but like in terms of influence i think it is absolutely like a top three yeah it, it's it's the, it, the the lasting influence is it's like you you look at the xbox series and you look at the ps5 and you see the shadow of this console in almost every aspect of those devices yep so, um, anyway, so that's it. This is our, this is, our, if you like this, let us know. Um, we, we, we kind of, I, I like, we were thinking about it as an inflection point, right? This is, yeah. this is the moment when this thing that had previously been on, been offline became an online thing. And it's, it's, it's the, it's the moment it's like the, what was it? The old three, two, one contact. It's the moment where everything happens. This sure. was the moment where online happened and where social happened for, for, console games um so uh yeah let us know if you're on the discord you can post feedback in this week's episode if you are not you can send an email to techpod at content.town 
and as always, uh, it's a hundred percent listener supported show. So if you want to get into that Patreon, and you're not there into that discord. And you're not there. You can join the Patreon for five mm-hmm. bucks a month. Exciting things are happening with discord threads. No, not those threads. The other kind of threads. I, I will say, well, the discord threads thread is probably going to become not a thread anymore and just be yes. a channel. Cause we, it, it's a much higher traffic than I realized. Uh, we, we did just this morning. We're trying something new because the because the Zelda game is generating a lot of games traffic. We made forums in the Discord. Yep. The mods made a good case. The Thread Club made a good case. I think it was it was definitely the right move. I I just I I give a bit of the side eye to Discord's kind of product design at the moment. Look, <laughs> so, we're dangerously close to opening a UBB. Is all I'm going to say. Yeah. I don't ever want to maintain a forum again from a like a an ops and back end perspective. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah, but, but the, these new types of threads seem better than the old types of threads in Discord, for what it's worth. The thing I realized when we were talking about this morning is that the old kinds of threads are become invisible when you turn them on. Yeah. And it's where you put people who are like, maybe you put the stuff off to the side that you don't want to have front and center. And the new kinds of threads are very visible and like it, it draws people in. You're like, oh, man, I yeah. do want to know about I do. I do want to know about uh, truck driving on Thursday nights. But anyway. Uh, you can join the Discord. You can get in the Patreon for five bucks a month by going to patreon.com slash techpod. And um, we appreciate everybody who, who who joins and helps support the show because that's that's the, we don't run ads. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you're the, you are the reason we are here. Yeah, um, we would rather we would rather you monetize us than monetize you, I guess. Yes, <laughs> we're, we're the product, <laughs> not you. Yeah. Um, but we also every week thank our executive producer tier patrons, including Nick Johnston, Paddle Creek Games makers of Fractured Veil, Andrew Slosky, Brad's midsize hoodoo voodoo switcheroo, Octothorpe Bunny Crimes, Just Wedge, Joel Krauska, Twinkie says Mike B is the GIF Lord. David Allen and James Kamek. Thank you all so much. Oh, thank you. And uh, I guess that'll do it for us this week. If I hope people like this episode. If they do, yeah. if they do, let us know. And if you don't, let us know too, because we we appreciate all the feedback. And uh, we will see you all next week. Bye, everybody. Mm-hmm.